is Marla, and I am a member here at Mercy View, um, and I'll be reading from Romans 9, 22 through 29. In verse 22, what if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory? Even us, whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. As indeed, he says in Hosea, Those who are not my people, I will call my people. And her who is not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, You are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, Though the number of the sons of Israel may be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. And as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left us, off, left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Marla. Well, good evening. Good to see you. Welcome to Mercy View. My name is Brad. I'm one of the pastors here. And, uh, just want to echo Trey's welcome to you from earlier in our service. Um, we are honored that you're with us, that you've chosen to worship with us, and we pray you've been encouraged in your time uh, with us so far. Um, I have another quick announcement I need to add to the mix, so bear with me here. But uh, as you know, on Sunday, October 31st, we called uh, our church to really a season of prayer. And one of the things that we said uh, was the purpose of that is we really feel compelled, uh, particularly us as leaders, elders here at Mercy View, to begin to pray with intentionality that the Lord would be so gracious in providing for us a permanent space, a place that we can call our own. And, and for, for those of you that are new here to Mercy View, I was just talking to some new friends uh, before the service. I think this is our fourth or fifth place that we've been in our short history and every place has been special and meaningful, and the Lord has done great things in those spaces. But we uh, desire to have a, a sense of permanence in the uh, city. And so uh, if the Lord would be so gracious, we want to pray to that end. And so we asked you to join us in that effort. We uh, did that together in our small groups that week, uh, which we want to just say, by the way, thank you for your, um, your pursuit of prayer that week. And uh, I believe when Lord hears a lot of us praying the same prayers together, it moves his heart. But we want to continue this effort together. And as we said to you, um, we want to actually add something to this season of prayer that we think is really meaningful. And it may be something that's even new, a newer practice for you. But uh, it's the, uh, the practice, the spiritual discipline even of fasting. And so beginning on September 11th, we want to call you, that's a Sunday, we want to call you to an all-day prayer and fast to continue the prayers that we're praying that began on Sunday, October 31st. Uh, this week, you can expect in your email and your inbox um, some more information about this. But really, what we're excited about is that this is also going to coincide with our monthly potluck. The weekend before is Labor Day weekend, so we pushed it forward a week. But what we'll do is we as a church want to invite you to, to pray and to fast that day. And then we're going to break that fast together at our potluck that evening, okay? So this, uh, we hope, will be a, 
just a rhythm for us this fall. So we'll continue to do this in October, November, December and see where the Lord leads us. But we want to invite you to that again. Be looking in your inbox this week for more information. Uh, when I was a kid, uh, I went to public schools and, uh, you know, when recess would happen, uh, there was usually some sort of game or activity that required people to choose teams, right? And so if you um, have ever been in that, you know the drill, you all kind of get in a big group and there's, there's a couple of people that are um, the, the leaders and they decide who's going to be on what team and they take turns, and you know that um, someone had to be last, right? It was super awkward and super uncomfortable. But at the very end, the last person is chosen. And eventually, everyone gets included. But all along the way, there's this, these feelings. Even as a kid, I remember this, you know, being in that group, like feeling so insecure about when am I going to be chosen? And when I was chosen, to be included felt so great, the thing is, is as we grow up and become young adults, and I'm kind of in the middle of adulthood right now, um, that feeling never really goes away. We like to be included. Uh, maybe it's in your workplace. You know, you, you are um, a, a coworker with other people and you want to be uh, in with them or, you know, you, wanna, you want them to think you're all right and, and cool and so... Uh, to be included in their conversations, included in the activities that they may even take part in outside of work, feels really good, right? Some of you know this as it relates to relationships. I know this was true for me. Man, I, I, um, till I met Holly, I had a really bad run in relationships. And when I finally met my soulmate, the one who I was... I knew that I wanted to spend the rest of my life with. There was nothing like, and still isn't anything like, the sense of, of being included, being loved and belonging to Holly. Some of you have experienced that in your marriages as well. The bottom line is this. We all want to be included. The theme of uh, the theme of tonight's talk really is about that. In fact, if you look at the scriptures as a whole, one of the most beautiful themes in all of the scriptures is this idea of inclusion. And really to, to press the point a little further, it's really to say spiritual inclusion. Ephesians 2 talks about us being far off from God, but because of Christ, the blood of Christ, we have now been brought near. What is that? That's we've been included, right? It's the, the spiritual reality of inclusion. And so I want to ask these questions as we get started this evening. What does it mean for you and I to be spiritually included? Maybe I could ask it this way Are you included? And if not, how can you be? Tonight we are continuing a, a series uh, that we began in the book of Romans last fall called Reign of Grace. And tonight, uh, and really for the next couple of months, um, we've been in this the last few weeks too, but we're looking at what is considered the end of the first half of the book of Romans through the end of chapter 11. And as we do that tonight, as we look at our next passage, I want to invite you to really see one big thing tonight, and it's this. God's 
mercy is wide. God's mercy is wide. Now, last week, uh, Pastor Tim Chaddock did a masterful job in tackling one of the thickest theological passages in all of the scriptures. And tonight, we are taking that baton from Tim and, and continuing in Romans 9. Now, I want you to remember something, though, as we get into our passage tonight. I want you to remember what Paul said was the problem at the top of this chapter. It's there in verse 3. You don't have to look there, but let me read this for you. Here's what it said. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Paul is saying at the very beginning of this chapter that many of Paul's kinsmen like people that he would have been connected to because of his heritage, because of his lineage. They were not trusting in Jesus as their Messiah. And because of this, it resulted in them being under the curse of God, which spiritually meant they were not included in God, in his family. Paul anticipated that question, that objection, and he knew that because of what pretty much like he talked all about in Romans 8, that this would create a crisis of faith into chapter 9 because you would probably want to ask this question. It's a very intellectually honest question. How can God be trusted if his promises with the nation of Israel haven't come true, like haven't come to pass? Or, or maybe we could say it this way. Eternity hangs in the balance Either God is sovereign and faithful, or he isn't. Now, we shared one of the answers to that objection a couple of weeks ago in verse 6. Paul said this, But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. You guys remember that if you were here a couple of weeks ago? So, the word of God's promise, Paul is saying, hasn't failed because actually within the nation of Israel, there is a remnant. There is a true Israel who have received the promise of God. So in other words, the, the covenant that God made with the nation of Israel is not to be seen as somehow a failure because the entire nation of Israel hasn't seen Jesus as Messiah. But rather, the word of God hasn't failed because the true Israel, this remnant of Israel that, that God is saving... Um, <clears throat> It's not made up of every ethnic descendant of Israel. In other words, God is not bound by lineage. He is not bound by heritage. God counts as children of the promise those whom he pleases to count. It's based on his love. It's based on his mercy. And all of that is found in him and God saves in this way, as it says in verse 11, in order that God's purpose of election might continue. Not because of works, and notice what he says here, but because of him, God, who calls. So, what we find as we come to our passage today in Romans 9, Paul is actually picking up where we left off in verse 13 of Romans 9. So what last week, what Tim did for us was really a sidebar that Paul does here in verses 14 through 22, showing us that the justice of God is informed by the freedom that is in God. And now this week, 
we jump back into Paul's answer to the objection of God's trustworthiness. So, if you have your Bibles or electronic devices, look with me, if you would, beginning there in verse 23 of Romans 9. Tim touched on this last week. I, I just want you to notice something real quick here. The phrase, vessels of mercy. God, Paul says, God wanted to make known the riches of his glory through something called vessels of mercy. We kind of, that's kind of where we stopped last week. So we need to answer this question tonight. Who are these vessels of mercy? And that's really what Paul does here in this next passage here. There are two groups that Paul is talking about here in, in this larger category of vessels of mercy. First, look at verse 24. First, Paul is going to say that there are Jewish people that he is calling into a saving relationship with himself. But notice that he says that God is calling not only Jews, um, he's actually calling another group to himself. Again, this is the same point that we just said. Paul, in one sense, is saying here, not all who are descended from Israel are called the vessels of mercy. God is saving a remnant of, of Jewish people. But yes, the ethnic nation of Israel has rejected Jesus as Messiah. But there isn't another group here. Notice what he says there in verse 24. Paul says that it is also the Gentiles that God is calling to be vessels of his mercy as well. And it's those two groups, the remnant, the true Israel, and the Gentiles that Paul is going to focus in on to continue to talk about how the word of God, namely his promise to save a people for his name's sake, has not failed. So look with me if you would, beginning in verse 25. Paul is going to first talk about the Gentiles. Now, to understand the significance of what it means for the Gentiles to be included in God's saving work, we need to do a little bit of homework. If you're new to the church, if you're new to Christianity, um, you would probably ask Brad, like, I, I don't even know what this means, right? Like, the, why is it significant that, that God would save the Gentiles? Let, let me help you. Let, let's, let's, let me help all of us here. Paul actually serves us by answering some of that for us in our passage tonight. And look there, verse 25. Paul actually takes us back to the Old Testament prophetic book of, of all places, Hosea. Hosea was a prophet in the 8th century, and he ministered to the northern kingdom of Israel, and he was commanded by God, if you know this story, he was commanded by God to marry an unfaithful woman, a prostitute. And this like, was a parable, was a symbol of God's faithfulness. The story of Hosea, his relationship to Gomer, was a symbol of God's faithfulness to an unfaithful people. But notice what Paul says. He says, let me just read this again. He says, those who are not my people, I will call my people. He's talking about the Gentiles here. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. Here's what Paul is helping us see. In the Bible, when we see the term Gentiles, here's what we need to know. The Gentiles were a people group that had not received the covenant promise like Israel had. Another way you could think of it is that they were 
outside of that covenant, so to speak. God did not come to the father of the Gentiles and promise him anything. He came to the father of Israel, Abraham, and gave this sort of glorious covenant of grace to that people. The Gentiles were considered idolaters. The Gentiles were enemies of God's people. They were, they were ones who deserved judgment. So here, where Paul references Hosea, he is showing us something profound. And here it is. God gives mercy to those who don't deserve it. See, Paul is showing us the stunning mercy of God here. Don't miss this. God is calling these Gentiles out of the world and into his kingdom, into his family, so that they can worship him and love him and serve him and become brothers and sisters of of Jesus. Or said another way, the same covenant promise that God made with Abraham and Israel is now open to anyone. God is grafting in a people that were originally outside of his covenant promise because of his great mercy. Friends, this is the good news of the gospel for you and I because guess who the Gentiles are? It's you and me. Anyone gets to get in on this because anyone is now in the category of saving God is swinging the door wide open, and that's a big deal. And and let me just say this. Here's why. You and I, friends, before Jesus are outside of God's covenant. Through the deep mercy of God, though, now we can enter into this covenant promise where God's grace redeems us and forgives us and, and saves us. Don't miss Paul's larger point here. God operates this way. Because he has a purpose in the display of his glory among everyone. God has a purpose to reveal the glory of his mercy against a backdrop of rejection and evil. Paul is is providing for us here not only like an inner philosophy of God's choosing, of God's gracious election. But he's also providing for us a philosophy of providence of God's purpose to reveal his glory through his mercy to those outside of his covenant promise. Now, if you would look with me beginning there in verse 27. Paul goes to another Old Testament prophet to tell the story of the inclusion of a remnant from disobedient Israel. Let me read that for us again uh, in verse 27. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. Let's just stop right there. So notice this. God's kindness to the people of Israel is just as gracious as it is towards the Gentiles, but in a different way, right? Even though the people of God have rejected God in the life of their nation, and while they are under discipline, God is not finished with his people. God is graciously preserving a remnant. Here's the one big thing I want to invite you to see this evening. God's Mercy is wide. 
In particular here in in Romans 9, we see that the root of salvation is found in the gracious choosing of God. It's not what is found in the recipient of that grace. But here's the deal. We don't usually look at it that way. We said this a couple weeks ago. Many of us tend to think that God has an obligation to save us. And why do we think that? Because really, we think we're pretty good. Like there's enough good in us that outweighs the bad. And, and, if, if, and, and surely God, if he's looking at that, is going to save according to that. If he doesn't, it's not fair. That's what we think. But that's not how the Bible looks at us. It's not how the Bible looks at God. The Bible says that God's obligation is to be true to himself. To be a God full of love, but yes, also a God full of of justice. And Paul uses the Old Testament stories today to not only show us God's grace has worked like in history, but to confront you and I once again with the wide sovereign grace of God in saving anyone he pleases. See, the Gentiles were welcomed into the people of God despite the fact that they were historically considered outsiders. Like historically, they would have been objects of judgment. And the Jews, who placed too much stock in their national identity, they were still treated graciously by virtue of a a remnant of people who were still faithful. Gentiles would have never sought God on their own. And the Jews would have passionately pursued a self-made righteousness, missing God along the way too. But it was God's grace, his mercy, that sought out Gentiles. And it was God's grace, is God's grace, that is preserving a remnant in Israel. Maybe we could just say it this way. Left to their own devices, no Gentile and no Jew would ever be saved. The fact that any Gentile or Jew is saved is owed entirely to God's grace. Friends, that is a grace that is wide. There's an old hymn uh, by Frederick Faber uh, that speaks to this. I just want you to listen to these, these words. Here's what it says. There's a wideness in God's mercy. Like the wideness of the sea. There's a kindness in his justice, which is more than liberty. There is welcome for the sinner and more graces for the good. There is mercy with the Savior. There is healing in his blood. For the love of God is broader than the measure of our mind. And the heart of the eternal is most wonderfully kind. And then listen to these words. But we make his love too narrow by false limits of our own. And we magnify his strictness with a zeal he will not own. Was there ever kinder shepherd, half so gentle, half so sweet as the Savior who could have us come and gather at his feet? I think Faber touches on something here that you and I struggle with. We make the love of God too narrow. And I think we do it in a couple of ways. One is for ourselves. 
And it's got to start here before we can even do the second thing I'm going to mention. But some of you believe that you have messed up so bad that what you have done, God's love cannot cover. And I want you to hear what Paul is saying tonight to us about God. And it's what Frederick Faber is saying here too. There is a wideness in God's mercy. Friend, there is no place that you can outrun the grace of God. And some of you here tonight need to receive the love of God that isn't narrow, but is wide. Receive it as a gift of free grace and receive the forgiveness that comes with that and, and receive then the power that comes with that to begin to walk in newness of life. There is another way I think you and I make the love of God to narrow and is that, that is the way in which we uh, treat other people or think that they have some way, somehow outrun the love of God. Um, and this is a tough one. Because some of you have been hurt by people, you've been betrayed by people, you've been offended by people. You just Some people you just don't like <laughs> that you, you're around. Um, I wonder if one of the things that Paul is wanting to impress upon us, and really it's the spirit I think that wants to say this to us, let's not shortchange the way in which God can rescue the people around us with the same mercy that you and I have received. I don't know what that looks like for you in your life. It's convicting for me as I think about some of those relationships and people and how to restore and renew some of those things. But I would be um, inconsistent and lack integrity, integrity before you if I didn't say for myself, like, I struggle with this too. But let's not, let's not impose upon others something that's more strict than God would even have for them. This, this says that uh, we magnify his strictness with a zeal that God doesn't even own. <laughs> a lot of times in our zeal, right, we, we want to be right and vindicated in all kinds of ways. Man, why not exhibit the mercy of God and pray for people and share with them that God's mercy is wide and there is no place that they can outrun that God's love doesn't cover. Friends, it is God who rules in this affair of salvation, not us. And what thankfulness and humility we should feel when we've received it. God has called us and penetrated our resistance and brought us freely to trust him and to love him. Friends, if you are a Christian here tonight, God looked upon you in your spiritual deadness and said, live. I don't want you to miss, though, something that happens at the very end of our passage here tonight. Verse 29. He says, Isaiah also predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. Now, this particular piece, again, is being spoken about Israel. He was, he was saying, um, what became of Sodom and Gomorrah? You guys that have been around the church house a while, you know the, the end of that story. It did not go well. Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. 
But I don't know if you remember this part of the story. Sodom and Gomorrah were not Jewish cities. They were pagan Gentile cities. Isaiah says that what Israel was about to become didn't happen because the Lord intervened. Think of it this way. The most favored people in the world are on their way to the worst pagan wickedness and destruction apart from God's restraining grace. This is what you and I are like apart from God's grace in our lives. And Paul's not mincing words here. He is saying that you and I are on our way to being like Sodom and Gomorrah if God doesn't step in. Paul is saying that God's mercy is the only thing, the only thing that stands between us and judgment. Paul is reminding us here that even the remnant couldn't take the credit for persevering here. The credit belongs wholly to the wideness of God's mercy. And if he doesn't intervene here, only death and judgment awaits. So let me close here this evening. I love that Paul uses the book of Hosea to show us the wideness of God's mercy in our passage today. Let me tell you why. Again, remember, we just said this. Hosea was a prophet. By all accounts, he was a man of integrity, like he was a very loving man. Uh, We see throughout the story of Hosea, he was a very forgiving man, a very gracious man. By all accounts, he was um, someone that that, uh, you would want to, you know, be like. You look up to in the Christian faith, and I want to be like Hosea. And in Hosea 1, again, we said God calls him to take a wife named Gomer who is a prostitute. Like, just wrap your head around that, okay? But what we see, again, in the book of Hosea really is a parable. Hosea's relationship with Gomer is like God's relationship with his people. And so, Hosea takes Gomer as his wife, and they actually end up having three children. Now, I'm not going to tell you the real names. Let me tell you what the names meant. You can see the real names in Hosea, but... um. The first child's name meant scattered. The second child's name meant not pitied. And the third name uh, meant not my people. So again, a parable of God's attitude towards adulterous Israel. They are scattered. They are not pitied. And they are not the people of God. The relationship with God's people, even at that time, was severed in the time of Hosea. But in the next chapter, in Hosea 2, God says this beginning in verse 14. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And then beginning in verse 19, I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. Don't miss this. Here is what Hosea is saying. Israel is going to be cut off from God, but one day they will be brought back to being the people of God. Why? Because of the wideness of God's mercy. Those who are not now God's people will become God's people. Those who are not beloved will become beloved. They are a scattered 
pitied people. They are not his people. But one day they will be brought in. They will no longer be pitied, but rather shown compassion. And they will become the people of God. Friends, isn't that the picture of God's mercy for us? Because of our sin, because of our rejection of God, we are scattered. We are scattered away from God. We are scattered inside. We are pitiful people. We ultimately are not one of God's children. Yes, you and I are Gentiles, but Paul's point here isn't to highlight that one group receives God's grace over another. His point is this. It is through the wideness of God's mercy that we are brought in under the shadow of God's wings as a hen gathers her brood. We are shown compassion and and mercy through the kindness of Jesus, the grace of Jesus instead of pity. And friends, because of this mercy, we are grafted into a covenant of love with Jesus, adopted into his spiritual family, no longer spiritual orphans. Friends, because of this mercy, you and I can be included, and we are. If you're here tonight and you would say, Brad, I, I feel scattered. I know that I'm not one of God's kids. <laughs> Friends, the good news of the gospel tonight is that you can receive this mercy. You want to know why? Because God's mercy is wide. There is nothing that you've done as you've stepped in here tonight that somehow um, rules you out. To be a part of this family, the spiritual family. Receive his grace tonight. Many of us here tonight would say, Brad, I, I follow Jesus. I, I'm a disciple of Jesus. But maybe you would say, I, I feel scattered tonight in my heart. I feel distant from the Lord. I kind of wonder if God even wants me to be a part of his family sometimes. Friend, I want to just remind you the words of the hymn that we read earlier. Don't make God's love too narrow by false limits of your own. God's mercy is wide. And that means there's nothing that you can do either that rules you out of ever being a part of the family of God. Another way we could say it is this. There is nothing that you can do to make God love you more or less than he does right now. He loves you perfectly. Don't magnify his strictness with a zeal that God himself doesn't own. Remember this. There is a wideness in God's mercy. Amen. Let's pray together.